Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Bad Beats episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about to make the legendary worst deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith. I'm the owner of Royal Legal Solutions, the home for everything tax, legal, everything asset protection for real estate investors. I'm here with my good friend, uh, Bill. Uh, Bill is uh, just a phenomenal real estate investor. I'm very excited to have him on the show here today. He has a wealth of experience that he's going to be sharing with us through kind of like a best deal, worst deal combo um, of the roller coaster of investing. So Bill, thanks for coming on the show today. And what can you um, fill us in about? What do we need to know about you, um, you know, coming into this deal so we can have some, some background for the listeners? Well, sure. Yeah. I, uh, you know, kind of started in real estate kind of later in life. And uh, I was uh, actually located in Port-au-Prince, Haiti for about 12 years. And uh, as a, a, a missionary out there with my family and uh uh, I was kind of looking at uh, what I was going to do when I returned back to the States. And uh, uh, I was kind of getting near the end of my time out there. And, and I realized, you know, I had to, I, you know, I, I really wasn't prepared to retire yet. So I uh, uh, started uh, looking at different options, found real estate investing, and uh, first started out buying some turnkey properties, looking at markets that I felt were emerging markets, uh, purchased uh, some single families, some duplexes, and uh, I was just noticing in the process of that that the you know the duplexes I paid about the same uh, for the duplexes as I did for the single family homes, but I just found that uh, you know everything was was sort of better because you know I had a vacancy I only had a fifty percent vacancy as opposed to a hundred percent vacancy with a single family home. Um, I you know had one tax. Uh, you know, bill, uh, you know, I had one insurance bill, but really I had, you know, two doors there that I was getting rent on and I was getting twice the rent that I was getting from my single family. So it just, it was really obvious really early on that, uh, you know, the economies of scale really made sense going to multis as opposed to single family. So uh, I started looking at, uh, apartments and started looking at, you know, what might be available. I was already in three markets in Memphis, Atlanta, and Indianapolis. And, uh, you know, I was, but, you know, at the same time thinking, gee, you know, going into an apartment, yeah, that's, that seems like a, a big endeavor. So I just, you know, studied and I read everything I could so that I really would go into it with a, a good base of knowledge. And, I felt you know, pretty confident, but at the same time, you know, there was sort of that analysis paralysis thing. Well, let me, you know, let me run some, you know, kind of test deals and start, you know, looking at the, at the numbers, you know, di because the numbers definitely are different uh, when you're looking at multis. And so I, I, you know, I'm just toying around and dragging my feet for a long time. Uh, I, I, I start looking at properties, but at the same time going, well, I don't know if I'm really ready. Uh, so I, I happened to go on to LoopNet and uh, I looked in the different markets I was in and I was looking in Indianapolis and I saw this uh, 22 unit um, property that looked like it was in a good location because it was sort of between you know two major emerging areas, the, the downtown area and uh, another, another area that was just kind of up 
incoming sort of a millennial hangout. And uh, it, was, it was pretty cool. And uh, so I'm, I'm yeah, looking at it. I'm weighing it out. I'm going, well, you know, let me start doing the numbers. I'm doing the numbers. I, I call the broker, started getting some information. Uh, you're putting it all together. Then I started talking to the, the finance side. I was talking to local banks and talking to different folks. And you know, finally, I, I get the courage together to, to make an offer. And I go ahead and put a LOI together, send it in, and boom, it's already under contract. I'm going, oh, man. You know, and it had been sitting on LoopNet for a while. So I was kind of bummed out. And I, you know, in that process, I was saying, well, you know, that's like, I'm, you know, going to learn, you know, dragging your feet on this, that, you know, you need to move quicker, especially in today's market. So I was, you know, just about to say goodbye to that deal and go on to others. And I thought, well, let me just call the broker back and uh, let them know that I'm interested and let them know that uh, I, uh, if something happens, that maybe it, the deal doesn't go through to, to give me a call because I'd like to be first on your list there. And I talked to the broker and he said, sure, you know, but it looks pretty good. The guy looks like he's got the funding, everything together. So I, I just kind of went on to other things. And, and about three months later, I get this call and uh, the deal didn't go through. And the guy said, well, are you still interested? And I said, sure. So I, uh, yeah, I was kind of in a better position. He had, he had a deal that didn't go well. Uh, I, I think, you know, they were off, uh, they're asking, you know, uh, uh, I thought a little high uh, on their, uh, you know, on their asking price. So I came in considerably lower than what they're asking for. And I thought it had a little bit of an advantage because they already, the, the seller, you know, had one deal go bad and, and he seemed anxious to want to be able to sell the property. So, um, worked with them, um, you know, came up with a pretty good price that we, we both agreed to. Uh, then I got in and, uh, you know, started putting all the, the, the papers together, the due, due diligence. Uh, we had an inspector come out and after the inspector came in, uh, I was able to knock off another big chunk of the price. And, um, so now I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, probably about 25% below the original asking price. And, and I felt, you know, even at least 20% below market in terms of what I was estimating the property to be worth and, uh, ended up getting the deal. Um, I, I definitely had some, some tough, uh, experiences on the financing side because, uh, you know, I didn't have the apartment experience. I had some small multis, but I, I really didn't have the apartment experience. Uh, uh, I was told by somebody that I knew in the Indianapolis area that, oh, you know, go with this bank. They're really looking for, uh, you know, looking for, for some commercial business. So, you know, I, I spent a long time working with this bank and, uh, you know, and, and right, right, you know, right. I mean, as, as my, my time, you know, I'm under contract here and the, the clock is ticking. And at the last minute they say, no, nah, you know, we're not going to do it because you're not a W2 employee. And I'm going, Oh, come on, man. You guys knew that before I started this and boom, you know, I'm just going, Oh gosh, you know, was this a bad deal? Should I, should I have gotten involved with this? And um, so at the last minute I had to find funding, I had to pay a higher interest rate because, you know, now I'm, now the clock is ticking. I had to go to the seller, buy some additional time so that I could put the funding together, got it together, got the property and I'm going, all right, this is great. You know, I'm just totally stoked. So that was sort of the good uh, thing, you know, something well, worked out like good there. Roller coaster inside of trying to even get <laughs> 
you know, I mean, and when you even, when you even start making that transition from doing single family to multifamily, that's a big jump in itself, like psychologically, as well as, you know, the risks that you have to take, you know, getting into it. How, how do you do cope with that? What was your mind frame around that? Yeah. Well, you know, that's why I, th- I think it was dragging my feet because I thought it was a lot more um, to expect than it really was. It, it it wasn't all that different than doing a transaction on a on a single family or a uh, you know a, a, a duplex. I mean, it really wasn't. Uh, there wasn't a. Uh, I mean, yeah, there there are some. You have to look at a lot more numbers, and you are you know concerned about uh, you know the the who's there and, and the leases. You're looking at the leases. You're looking at the people. Um, and there were definitely some folks that were tenants there that I knew were going to be a problem. And, uh, and this, so there were, there were some things a little bit, but it really wasn't that different. And, and I, I, you know, I don't know why I was so afraid of it, you know, because it wasn't like I was putting together a syndication, you know, which is where I'm focused now. It was just a, you know, simple little transaction. I'm buying it as a, as you know, a single buyer. And, uh, so, but you know, it was the dragging the feet part that, that really, um, I, I think, kind of hurt me. And uh, the other part of it was, you know, that I thought was a win was, and a lot of us don't do this, is when we, when a pro, you know, maybe we're after a property and it goes under contract, we just immediately just go away. But going back to the seller, I mean, to the broker and saying, hey, um, you know, i still interested, you know, don't forget me. And I, I just, you know, three months later, I just thought that, you know, the deal went through and getting that call really was a winning thing, I thought. And, you know, being able to buy it so much under under market value was a real plus. So so a lot of things turned out to be a, a, a big win in the, in the beginning. And then, uh, you know, I, <laughs> things started to change. OK. And this was uh, this part that you I, thought you, know, you got the win, right? Like you closed on the deal. You went yeah. to hard work with the insurance here you know, scrambling to find, you know, outs and you think you got like a great deal in the apartment and then you're probably thinking I'm ready to go to the beach, <laughs> but yeah, that's it. You know, I'm ready just to sit back and, and wait for the, the mailbox money to come in. Right. But you know, it was, um, it was located, like I said, between two, you know, pretty, pretty dynamic areas where a lot of activity was going. It's what you call in the path of progress. And, um, but the question was, you know, well, how quickly is that path going to <laughs> to move? You know, how quickly is that progress going to hit us? And that was where I wasn't ready. And, and I was a little bit thrown off because there were some, you know, little surprises that happened. Uh, you know, one of the, the early ones, uh, one, part of what I did is I, I did sort of a major uh you know, I'm a value add investor. So I was looking at ways to cut expenses, looking at ways to boost the the rent. The rents were already under market, which is a plus. But uh, I was looking at the the other aspect of it, uh, you know, all the various expenses. Uh, uh, the owner uh, was paying gas um, and, and water, which is pretty typical. Um, the tenants are paying electrical. But uh, every every apartment had a gas stove in it, for example. Um, and, and, and plus I also had, um, uh, boilers, which I'm, you know, I'm from Southern California. I didn't even know what a boiler was, but the, you know, this massive boiler in the basement that, you know, that heated the, the entire building and, uh, it was old and I was thinking, well, you know, how's this going to do it? It was working, but I was a little bit skeptical and I was, uh, 
looking at well, what it would take to replace this. And I was looking at it and going, this is crazy. You know, plus, you know, I'm paying to, you know, basically heat this place. So uh, we went through, we uh, changed all of the apartments and we put uh, 220 in each apartment, uh, rewired the place, uh, moved electric stoves in to replace the gas stoves. We went, you know, sideboard heating, um, you know, floorboard heating and, um, we, you know, transferred those costs, of course, to the, the tenant who was paying electrical. So, you know, that cut our costs quite a bit. Um, we also did a lot of rehab as each unit became available. We would, uh, you know, go through and do a, you know, a pretty significant rehab. And we were able to increase rent, you know, anywhere from 16 to 20% uh, for those units as they came up. And then as we were doing improvements to the, you know, mainly, mainly common area and exterior type improvements, tenants were seeing that, hey, you know, this, this building is going through a transformation. So they were pretty easy uh, when we first started raising rents. We started like at a 6% increase, letting them know that in, in another year, they're going to get another 6%. So, uh, you yeah, know, things things were going pretty good, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm an, I'm an out of state owner. So, uh, a 22 unit doesn't really warrant having an on-site property manager. And I had a property manager, a pretty good property manager in place, but they were not able to be there all the time. And so little things were starting to happen. And, uh, you know, one, one of the first red flags is, uh, when my property manager was approached by the local police department, they said, Hey, do you mind if we use one of your empty upstairs apartments because we're putting together a little sting operation for the prostitution trade in the, in the area. And we're going, okay, great. You know, this is wonderful. And so they get a little corner unit uh, that, you know, they're up there, they got guys undercover and they are uh, waiting, um, you know, for prostitutes to show up and, and, you know, do this little sting. And I guess they had some of their own plants that were actually, you know, police, uh, you know, people that were disguised as, uh, as prostitutes too. So it was a, uh, yeah, that was like sort of a, you know, first That's big crazy. red flag. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> so, yeah. so, I mean, the good part about it is that we made some, some great contacts with some police, you know, guys that we basically said, hey, you know, you can come back anytime to use this place. In fact, if you ever want to use our place, you know, come in, have a cup of coffee and uh, fill out reports. You know, we'd love to have your cars in our parking lot, you know, just kind of sending a message to you know, anybody that's out there that's uh, unsavory, or maybe even a tenant. Um that the cops are our friends and they're, and they're going to be present. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of a, an issue. And then we, 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 you know, had to deal with some real tough tenants. I mean, some guys we thought were dealing, um, others we thought were, um, you know, maybe, uh, pimps, you know, <laughs> that yeah. kind of thing. But, but how did you, so, what made you think like if you're in such a rough area with that, it's probably economically depressed as well, right. To start like throwing cash into rehabbing, everything right because you would think like well, in those areas it doesn't pay to rehab because the the price is not you know volatile like to be able to move it up well that was you know i mean i had done you know my research i'd really looked at it and i had seen you know transformation going on in the immediate area right nearby us uh, there was a building right next to us that had a lot of students in it um it was a you know a good strong you know t uh, tenant base 
Um, and there were some, uh, you know, a, a couple of streets down that uh, also, you know, were doing, you know, some strong, you know, blue collar. It was definitely blue collar and uh, uh, still is blue collar. But, uh, you know, they're, they were not, they did not have the same tenants we had. And, and, I, and that was part of the issue when I bought the place. I knew it was, it had poor management. The guy that was managing it, the owner managed it himself. And uh, he just, he just kind of let anybody in. And I, I think that's what had happened is that they just, uh, you know, were allowing folks in that, uh, uh, that weren't really screened very well. And so we, we had to really move into a whole different mode of what I call the stealth tenant marketing, where we um, started targeting major employers in the area, you know, going to their HR department and giving them flyers where if any of their employees signed up, uh, you know, to for our apartment, they get a month free and, you know, just all these little incentives, uh, trying to get some good, you know, working folks into the building. And, uh, and that, that really did help turn things around, uh, you know, considerably, but, uh, you know, there, there was that remnant there. And so we had to go through, um, you know, trying to find out exactly, you know, if there were some, some sketchy things being done by some of these tenants, which is tough to do. And, uh, uh, as we, as some of these people that we, we thought were questionable would, you know, be late on the rent, then we would immediately serve, you know, uh, eviction notices. And, and that's how we were kind of moving some folks out. It was a little bit easier to do that than to prove that they were, you know, doing illegal activities. So, uh, so, you know, it was, it was one of those things, you know, it was, uh, it was, it's an area in transition. And so yeah. we just got a little more aggressive and started targeting the people we wanted in there. And so as we started to get those types of people in, the dynamics did change, but you know, there were those few holdovers and, um, and that, that was, uh, that was tough. And, uh, so I had to really, really monitor my uh, property management very closely because they would have a tendency to kind of just, you know, get somebody in so that we, we don't have a high vacancy rate, but I was more concerned with getting in, uh, you know, the right people. So, so there was a little bit of a tug of war there for, for the first year or so. Did you have uh, anybody helping coaching you through what to do with this kind of distressed property to be able to come up yeah. with these ideas? Cause these are some pretty novel ways, uh, I think of, of executing that plan. But, um, so did you have like an advisor with you or like a, a co-partner to help you with this? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I've, I've always had mentors and, uh, yeah, I had some, some good mentors, you know, starting out, um, one of which had, uh, done similar types of things. He was doing a lot of section eight, uh, stuff. And so he was, he was kind of familiar with the, the group I was dealing with and, and did have some, some great ideas that, that helped us to, to kind of move, you know, move out the, the folks that were, that were a problem and, and move to, you know, this, this other realm. And, and since then, you know, we've, we've, we've done a number of things. One, we put uh, closed circuit TVs in, in all of the units. Um, I brought in what I call a house mom, um, which is a, a tenant that pays, uh, you know, a, a lower rent uh, with the job though of monitoring what's going on, keeping things in line um, and reporting any tenants that are you know doing things that aren't aren't right. So with the between the closed circuit TV and and the house mom, you know we've been able to really stabilize and get get a great group of people in there now. So you know so it had it went from from really great to <laughs> really scary to really great again. And um, 
and I, I think we're going to be able to stay the route now. I mean, the, the, we, the, with the improvements we've done, with the rent increases, we've almost doubled the value of the investment. So it has turned out, you know, well for us on our end. Um, it was, you know, it, it definitely is a C building. Um, I, I felt like at times it might have been a C minus, but I, I still think it's, it's probably a, a pretty solid C. Uh, it just really, it's all management. It really got, boils down to having strong management, having strong uh, criteria for your tenants and not really just trying to get bodies in there, but really trying to get the right bodies. In. Right. Also, I mean, it sounds like you were having to do stuff that was more active with your management. Like you couldn't just turn it over the property management, even with just the the uh, criteria even like you probably, it sounds like what you had to do is actually tell them like, Hey, I actually need you to go post flyers. I need you to go source people from like these employers. Like that's not standard, right? Yeah. Well, that's just it. You know, I, I cause I, I'm dealing with property managers and all, all of my, and other States as well. And you know, it's like 90% of the property management I've, I've had, you know, just, is just not very good. And so I have just found you need to really, you need to document and almost put a manual together for each property manager based on the needs of that particular property and that area. And if they can't do it, then, you know, you got to move on. Um, and uh, if you don't set key criteria in there and have strong communication, that, I mean, that's that's really, as an out-of-state investor, the property manager is your number one key to success or failure. And if you don't handle them right, and if you don't get the right people in, then you know, you're just doomed for failure. Yeah, well, it sounds like it. But I mean, it also sounds like you able to jump into something that was kind of risky in a, a lot of ways, right? Because you had a mentor that was experienced in that kind of asset class, right? I mean, to be able to jump into it. But that, you know, because think about your, your story, right? Is that you're you're able to overcome some fear to be able to get into a deal that you think is a great deal, only to find out that holy smokes, this whole other piece, I didn't even see it coming. Right. Right. Exactly. And 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 that was you know, and that was something that again, with all the research I could do, I mean, talking to people, hanging out in that neighborhood. I mean, I went there all hours of the night, and I just really researched that area. I still. I didn't see this coming. I didn't see prostitutes out there. I didn't see, you know, some of the unsavory folks that, you know, later on uh, I sweet, encountered there. Sweet, innocent Bill doesn't even see the prostitutes. <laughs> I just don't see him. You know? He's got these virgin uh, no, eyes just, and I just it, don't even see him anywhere. That's it. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I, you know, I, I'm pretty blind. But then later on, yeah, it, it got really gnarly. I mean, that was... <laughs> I mean, they, no, I mean, they were using our parking lot, you know, to turn tricks. I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons we got the, wow. uh, the cameras out there. Yeah, it was pretty, I mean, and, and we also did another kind of unique thing in that, uh, you know, we're trying to boost revenue. So I actually converted three of my units to Airbnb units, which was one of the best things I had uh, done. And, and, uh, and these units were basically pulling in double what my other tenants are paying. And they're always booked and it's, it's a higher level of person that's coming in. And so that was really great for us, but they were the ones that were, you know, my other tenants were never telling me anything that's going on in the building. And it would be the Airbnb people that, you know, that, that would say, Hey, you know, I got proposition in the hallway here. And I go, Oh, really? I go, yeah. And this guy, you know, tried to sell me, you know, some, some Coke, you know, I've got to go 
come on, you know? And so it was, it was through that that I started to realize, gee, you know, th- there's some major issues going on here. If it wasn't for them, and I don't, I don't know why the other folks were so quiet. Maybe they're afraid that people may, you know, retaliate or something if they said anything. But the other tenants were not telling me these things. And, uh, but if it wasn't for the Airbnb folks that were there, I, I, I probably wouldn't have known about some other things. No, that's awesome, Bill. I mean, you really covered like so much uh, in, in your story today, Bill, and thank you for, go, for going into it. Um, you know, one of the ways that I like to, to wrap up each episode is kind of like a lesson learned. You know, so if there's something you want to leave everybody with is like a lesson learned from your story, like what would that, what do you think that would be? Well, I, you know, I basically, I have a, you know, you've heard like Peter's principle, you know, whatever can go wrong, will go wrong. Well, I kind of just upgraded that a little bit. I call it the old dogs principle here. And, uh, and that is what you don't even suspect to happen probably will happen. (laughs) And it may be worse than you expect. You know, in other words, you know, when, when you're in this business, you really need to be prepared for the things that you can't prepare for. And um, those are the things that, uh, you know, you, you, yeah, you have your exit strategy, you have your, your, your plan A, B, and C. You really got to think, gee, you know, there, there, there could be a tornado that's going to come through here and just totally trash this place. So there's going to be, you know, there's going to be riots in the streets and people are going to, you know, invade my, my property. I mean, you, you have to think outside the box that there are, there are things that are going to happen that you really didn't plan on. And uh, maybe even in all your experience, you never, you never have had to deal with before. So, you know, that's, that's how you have to go into these things with your eyes wide open. You can do all the research you want. Um, but I, you know, I always say that the, the real education begins, you know, the moment you sign those escrow papers, that's, that's when you start learning about real estate investing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think one thing that really helped helped you in your situation, you know, um, when I look at it is, is the importance of having a mentor and, and people in your corner that are really experienced and smart about what to do. Because when you get those un, uh, like unconventional kinds of problems, they're the ones that you can draw on to be like, I need better ideas of what to do because I don't know. Right. And they're not like, you can't just type that on an internet form or Google search what to do for that. It, it takes like having a resource that you can tap into. Um, and, and maybe that's like a good, um, a good lesson. And to a lot of these is like when you're jumping into something that's new, like a new asset class, like you are, it's like having those mentors that can see, I mean, help you see things up front, but it's like the unknown unknown. So things you don't even know, you don't even know like this, that kind of bit you that it sounds like your mentor was able to help you uh, help you through um, getting to the other side of it. Is that fair to say? Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that really is. I also, you know, I have a podcast that, you know, that uh, I, I, a lot of folks listen to, I have some great guests on, um, you know, a lot of these guests I've, I've made relationships with. And so I can call these guys up that, uh, you know, are in similar, uh, similar types of areas that I am, or maybe even the same cities that I'm in. And uh, yeah, I could tap into that. Uh, and then I sometimes, you know, and I share on my podcast, I share, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly, you know, and, uh, and, and so people, you know, really kind of hear uh, what, what I'm going through. And so it's, a lot of times people will, will write to me and say, Hey, you know, I dealt with that same thing. And here's what I did. So, so I, I have a pretty 
broad sphere, you know, and I'm also, you know, active in biggerpockets.com and, and other places too, where I interface with a lot of folks. And, and that helps too. That's kind of my extended community where um, I, I do, I do get these, uh, you know, some feedback and some great ideas from, from other people I, I interact with. That's awesome, Bill. And, and, and people want to get a hold of you. What's the best way for them to do that? Well, uh, you know, the best thing is our, our website. Uh, you know, we have a, a website for people that are 50 plus. Uh, they're investors that are kind of starting later in life uh, with real estate. And uh, it's called the Old Dogs REI Network. And dogs spelled D-A-W-G apostrophe S. So old dogs. And of course, I'm the, sort of the main old do- top dog here. And uh, uh, we... Uh, you can just look that up, you know, Google it. Uh, you can also do a search on iTunes, uh, just type in, you know, D-A-W-G and, and you'll find our, our podcast. Uh, but our website is olddogsreinetwork.com. And if you go there, we've got articles, we've got podcasts, you know, a lot of, a lot of great resources. Um, you know, we, we're not selling anything. We don't really have coaching or anything like that. But, uh, you know, we're there to help and uh, as best we can for those that are either approaching retirement, or already in retirement and looking at real estate investing as a means to help them out. That's awesome, Bill. Well, I would encourage everybody to reach out, you know, if that applies to you and um, get it. If you, I think like Bill does a great job of really just kind of letting it, um, you know, all just air out of like, here's the way things really shake out and this is what it's really like. Um, and that's pretty refreshing, you know, to get that kind of point of view from it is you can get a lot of gurus out there that just blow a lot of smoke. And, um, and I don't think that's what we're all about. I think we're all about trying to show the world as it really is. And then, you know, you get to gear up and then decide if you want to do that and you get the good, the bad and the ugly that comes along with it. And that's called living life. So, um, I want to thank you again, Bill, for, for coming on today's show. Of course, this is the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal-Smith, the owner of Royal Legal Solutions, the home for everything real estate investor related, you know, tax, legal, everything asset protection. Um, thank you again, Bill. And for everybody else, uh, until next time. That's all for this Bad Beats episode. I'm your host, Scott Royal-Smith with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. Did you see yourself in any part of that story? I know I did. If you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in the sleeping masses of what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day. Thanks, and I'll see you again soon.